Hello, everyone. This is David Douthit. This is Molly Douthit. And welcome to More Than Hearing, a podcast to encourage preachers to use multiple intelligences in sermons and worship leadership, because there are plenty of ways to reach someone's soul. Today, we are covering People in Self-Smart for the lectionary selections for the 30th Sunday in Ordinary Time, Year C. Sirach reveals divine justice, and the psalm extols the beauty of God's dwelling place. Paul wraps up his letter to Timothy with confidence in God's timely providence. In Luke, Jesus tells a parable about a tax collector and a Pharisee. What might we discover for illustrations and special effects? Well, let's go find out. This podcast is based on Dr. Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences. Dr. Gardner suggests that there are multiple ways to learn, process, remember, and understand our world. Each week, centered on the weekly readings for the Revised Common Lectionary, we develop illustrations and special effects using various smarts based on Dr. Gardner's identified intelligences. Over the course of four weeks, we will cover word smart, eye smart, math smart, body smart, music smart, nature smart, people smart, and self smart. You can read more about Dr. Gardner's work by clicking on the link at the top of our webpage, morethanhearing.org. Join us as we explore ways these intelligences can be utilized for a deeper appreciation of God's Word. Then, we encourage you to try it for yourself. Anytime and any way we can make use of the different smarts, we give people greater access to the Word of God so they can acquire it, process it, and internalize it in ways that make sense to them. Let's get started. Well, hello, friends and colleagues and followers. We're glad to have you with us today, and uh, we welcome you to the podcast. We are looking at Ordinary 30 for Year C this week and looking at self-smart and people-smart. Of course, we always encourage you to uh, try out all the smarts, but these are the ones we're looking at today. And I'm going to be doing self-smart. Molly's doing people-smart so uh, just briefly looking at some uh, uh, information from Sharon Eli Pearson on the Building Faith uh, blog, uh, she, she writes that the self-smart or intrapersonal person is uh, one who likes to be alone, have time to think things through and reflect. This learner learns best by reflecting and making connections to self. When asking questions or having discussion, uh, make sure pauses and silence are used in order to allow these people the time to process their thoughts. Ask those who are always the first to answer to try to wait a few moments before jumping with a raised hand. Self-reflective exercises of prayer, meditation, self-imagination benefit these learners. So, how about people smart? Well, also from Sharon Eli Pearson, we have that these people like to be with people. They like to empathize, interact, lead, and teach. This person learns best by working with others and is also very tuned to other feel, others' feelings and needs. Involve people by inviting them to present and lead. Outreach and service projects are other opportunities where these people thrive. Um, you might find them with body smart people at a uh, um, at a mission project. Mm. Body smart people like to use their hands and stuff. Sure, sure. Uh, people smart people just like to be where the people are. Mm-hmm. 
So well, so smart people can too. It's just yeah. Well, people smart—that's kind of their their bailiwick. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what they like. Yeah. I want to be where the people are. <laughs> uh, I should be able to come up with a <gasps> with a response for self smart. I thought maybe you didn't know what that was from. Oh, no. I, oh, good. Of course I did. Yeah. Didn't have to flick my tail at you. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you can also... <laughs> you can also take a look at what we did three years ago, and we'll have a link for that episode at the show notes at morethanhearing.org. And... Uh, while we're looking ahead, we're almost at the end of year C. We're thinking about switching back to our old format of doing all the smarts uh, for each of the texts. Mm-hmm. We're thinking about that instead of just doing the two. Mm-hmm. So we'd love to hear from you uh, which way you think we ought to go with that. I, we're It's been an interesting experiment this year, but uh, it has we're also both been kind of a challenge. Itchy. Yeah, yeah. So uh, drop us a note or. Uh, uh, leave us a comment at our social media stuff and let us know, would you like to hear more about all the smarts every week? Um, and speaking of the smarts, let's get right into the texts, shall we? Yep. The first lesson for Year C Ordinary 30 uh, in the complimentary track is from Sirach. So we're back to Sirach. We did that some weeks ago. Yeah. Um, Back to Sarak. We're back to Sarak. Except we're not doing music smart. So <laughs> got it. I keep coming up with all these things. Um, okay, so Sarak coming from the Apocrypha of the Old Testament, and it is chapter thirty-five, verses twelve to seventeen. It starts off: "Give to the Most High, as He has given to you, and as generously as you can afford." Um, Go ahead and do the whole thing because people probably are not as familiar with Sirach. Okay, so uh, for the Lord is the one who repays and will repay you sevenfold. It goes on then to uh, change direction a little bit. It says, don't offer him a bribe. He won't accept it. Don't rely on dishonest sacrifice for the Lord is the judge. And with him, there's no partiality. He will not show partiality to the poor, but will listen to the prayer of the one who is wronged. He will not ignore the supplication of the orphan or the widow when she pours out her complaint. So that's that's the text. And I, I'm really, I thought this would have worked really well with the gospel lesson for this past Sunday with yeah, the widow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of unusual that it's paired up with, uh, with the Luke passage for this I, week. But anyway. I agree. I thought so too. But uh, maybe it has to do with that, uh, with the relationship with the Lord and how you get along with the Lord, hmm. which is sort of where I go with self-smart here. Um, it also seems to be an interesting passage for stewardship season, mm. uh, the way it opens up with uh, some opportunities to consider one's motivations for giving mm. to the Lord and to the work of the church. Uh, verses 12 and 13 offer some advice to give as we have received, and although uh, not to repay God 
because it says God's the one who repays and will repay you sevenfold. So you try to repay God and God's going to repay you seven <laughs> times. And it's, you know, it's reverse loan sharking. Right. <laughs> right. That's an interesting image. <laughs> yeah, it is. I just thought of them. Hmm. Hmm. Well. Uh, anyway. Anyway, then uh, going through verse verses 14 to 17, the second half of the passage, uh, that points us toward those who give as a way to influence God or earn God's favor. But again, God's not having it. So um, you might in, imagine the internal dialogue that different folks might have as they work out their motivations for giving and then present them as monologue vignettes. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you're getting into drama there, which we usually put in people smart, but that's okay. Since it's internal dialogue, it works for self smart, I mm-hmm. think. And mm-hmm. uh, and who cares anyway if it bleeds <laughs> over? So what? Right. Um, it, it's also probably more of a special effect, but maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, anyway, anyway uh, some of the ones that some of the motivations that I thought of that people might have about their giving would be to try and bribe God, as mm. it says here. So write one of those up. Bribery uh, peas. Yes, yes. Um, to uh, uh, pay a tax to the church. Hmm. Kind of thing. Um, paying your membership dues, uh, duty or obligation, um, that it is one option among many of how to spend your money. Um, trying to exert influence, perhaps within the church. You know, the more I give, the more the pastor's going we'll to pay attention, pay attention to me. Or the people mm-hmm. will pay attention to me. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, similarly, flexing. Mm-hmm. Or, or showing off mm-hmm. how much you mm-hmm. can give. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe gratitude, which would be nice. Or as suggested here, mirroring God to give as God has given to us. So uh, I think that would be an interesting way to break that all down and explore all those possibilities. Yeah. Well, I had no clue what was going on in this book, so I went and I looked and uh, looked up some commentary. And um, some of the commentary for the context of this is that some of the uh, the cities, rich and powerful, uh, this would be, I guess, in Jerusalem, um, abused their station, offering worship for show while oppressing the poor and the helpless, and other used the public arena of the temple worship to advance themselves and their agenda. Uh, Many of the underclass believed worship at the temple had become merely a show ritual that paid lip service to Yahweh. That's from a lectionary resource for Catholics. And then at another source called BibleWise, which is also another uh, resource for Catholics, this is a time of prosperity in Jerusalem, but the world was changing and many Jews were agitating for a bit more Hellenization, adoption of the Greek way of life that would bring more opportunities for trade and political interaction, you know, when in Mm. Rome. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Ben Sirah is writing when people were aware of Hellenization, but still committed to their Jewish roots, including the study of Torah. So given that his words are addressed to the youth, the young uh, of the era, it's also likely that a lot of them might have been being drawn into the Greek way of life. And so he was trying to counteract that a bit. So that's what these particular verses are about. You remember the God of Israel. He's not going to be bought off the way the Greek gods are. It might be the subtext Uh, there. uh. 
Um, what keeps coming to mind for me for people smart is being in a dark room, everybody in a room when the power goes out and everybody starts fumbling around looking for matches or, or flashlights or asking if anybody else has a flashlight. You know, nowadays people are probably Just pull out their phones. Phone, yeah. yeah. And everyone's in the dark, but we all start looking for light. Mm-hmm. So uh, this could be a special effect. I actually have it under illustration, but this could be a special effect. Uh, If your congregation lights candles at Christmas Eve, remind everybody how the light of the candles dispels the darkness. Um, And a way of illustrating this also is God's concern for the one who is wronged is like seeing that one light in the middle of mist or of darkness. Hmm. I also have a, a, another a special effect ID that really kind of has, it's more eye smart, really, I think, um, but generate some smoke or some steam in the in the room and then shine a laser light through it. Hmm. So Yeah, definitely eye smart. Yeah, definitely, but. yeah. Uh, but here's a people smart special effect that you could try. Uh, break into smaller groups and discuss these three things. The first is repayment to God in verses 12 to 13 a monetary repayment? Or is there a different way to repay God? Mm. How would you repay God? Mm -hmm. Uh, Verse 16 states that God shows no partiality to the poor. Does that sound like good news? Well. Maybe. Uh, but, but you know, there's justice, you know, well, yeah, but you know, there's also the, all those other places that, um, uh, God is concerned with the widow and the orphan. So, you know, talk well, about this as a contrast. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. And then verse 17 states that God will listen to the one who is wronged. So reflect on ways that you may have seen this in action, that God has heard the cries for justice for someone and how that's been righted. Say a little bit more about how the, the image of darkness and light works for you in this. I think it's the idea that um, God will not ignore the supplication of the orphan or the widow. Okay. When she pours out her complaints. So, you know, a, a widow or an orphan, they have nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so they might be kind of flailing about in sort of a metaphorical darkness. Okay. And looking for light. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. Let's go on. The psalm for year C, Ordinary 30, is Psalm 84, verses 1 through 7. Um, I read the whole thing, and I think maybe they do 1 through 7 because that's just kind of in a nutshell. But again, I read this a couple days ago, so I don't remember what the rest of the verses are. (laughs) Um, But I'm guessing that they just sort of truncated it so it's shorter. It begins, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Um, verse four is actually a song that I learned somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. It might be it to say. It, maybe it is. Yeah. Anyway, uh, essentially, uh, people are really, really glad to be living in God's house. They go from strength to strength. The God of hosts will be seen in Zion. It's essentially a hymn of praise for all the uh, good and uh protection that one gets from God. For people smart, what really sort of stood out to me is the first part of verse four, happy are those who live in your house. And it got me to thinking, what kind of happy houses are out there? Mm. Um, I'm thinking like when you were a kid and you'd get to go to grandma and grandpa's house Mm -hmm. and maybe spend overnight with grandma and grandpa who would spoil the pants off of you because mm. mom and dad needed some time away from you. 
Uh, so grand- grandparents' house or other family house, uh, f- families' houses, uh, a sorority or a fraternity house mm-hmm. uh, might have been a really good experience for you. Organizations mm-hmm. that feel like family. Maybe there's a service organization to which you belong that you really love going to, or maybe there's an, uh, a 12-step program mm-hmm. that... that welcomes and accepts you that feels like family and you feel blessed for having go there uh, think about your experiences that you may have had at camp um, that can sometimes feel very much like a family mm-hmm. or a good workplace you can actually feel at home at your job sometimes Indeed. depending on what that job is so there's some ways of illustrating what a happy house might be. Uh, for a special effect, use this psalm as a call to worship or a call to prayer. And what I'm thinking of how you might do this is have one person read, like a lector read the psalm, and pause after each verse or maybe group some of the verses to allow small groups to reflect together on what images come to mind. Um, so, uh, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts? Give a little bit of time, allow people to sit with that, and then have the smaller groups uh, brainstorm images that come to them. Then, you know, continue that with the next seven verses. And uh, after you get all of that together, close with each of the groups calling out a single word that had the most impact, the single image that had the most impact from each group. So, have somebody say, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts? And then just have them say those things Mm -hmm. for each of those groupings, which is kind of a fun way of doing a group discussion. Uh, And it also involves, um, uh, well, it would probably pull in a lot of the other intelligences too, because you would Mm -hmm. be imagining things in your mind's eye. Sure. um, Nature smart with the mention of the birds in in those verses. Mm -hmm. So anyway, there you go. Cool. Uh, For self smart, uh, similar sorts of things, I think. I uh, was thinking uh, to describe one or more of your favorite places where you have experienced inspiration and renewal. So kind of the same happy home sort of stuff, except I, I went a little broader field. I, uh, well, no broader than a fraternity house, I guess, but <laughs> uh, going a, a little different direction, a cathedral perhaps or mansion. Uh, a monastery or retreat center, the beach, mountaintop, forest, desert, or a friend's house. Describe what it is about that place that made it a sacred space for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, So we're kind of suggesting the similar activities, but for yeah. me, it's do it in a small group of people, and for self-smart, it's you know, think of it on your own. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And... Um, uh, I I didn't choose one for myself <laughs> while I was writing this, but I probably, you know, probably should. Uh, anyway, the preacher would want to, you know, pick one mm-hmm. that uh, one or two that are meaningful to you and develop those, and then, by way of special effect, invite people to uh, take some time for their own similar reflections and identification, and. Uh, after you think about those other places, then help people imagine your own sanctuary as such a place. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, you know, people somebody would have will already have said thought it. of that. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. but uh, just to make it explicit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so. There you go. There we are. Okay, let's go on. 
The New Testament lesson for Year C, Ordinary 30, is 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8 and 16 to 18. So uh, this is in the end of the letter. And Paul is writing about his own condition, and then, uh, well, uh, it it gets a little dark. But (laughs) he says, as for me, I'm being poured out as a libation. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, finished the race. I have kept the faith. Um, And the Lord has a crown waiting for me on that day. Uh, And my first defense, he says, everyone deserted me, but may it not be counted against them, which is generous. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength so the message might be fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles. And uh, I was rescued from the lion's mouth. And the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So wow, it's uh, it's very personal mm-hmm. and right. and intense. Yes, and it's also the end of Timothy. It is the end of the letter. So, uh, I I was struck by that that second paragraph and verse sixteen in particular, uh, sixteen and seventeen. I was put in mind of Amnesty International actually, which uh, does a lot of work in human rights around Mm -hmm. the world. And one of the things that I I had participated in years ago, and I haven't done it for a long while, but they they, uh, work to assure that imprisoned people have received fair due process and humane treatment, which includes opposing secret detentions, torture and mistreatment, denial of access to family, lawyers, medical help, and so on, and detention for reasons of conscience or identity. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of their responses around those issues is letter-writing campaigns where they get people to send letters emails, whatever, but often physical letters used to be more so, but Mm -hmm. um, on behalf of the detained, advocating for them with the authorities and the government of the country where it is Mm -hmm. that they are being detained, and and also letters to the detained, um, assuring them that they are not forgotten. And I remember- Do they still do this? They do. Cool. And in fact, I've got some links. Uh, yes, you do. On, there on they the are. worksheet that will take you to those letter writing campaigns. And um, so they have a, a variety of folks that you can send letters on their behalf. And I, I didn't explore deeply to see if you, if you can send directly to them or not. Mm-hmm. But um, I know that's something that they used to do. And if they don't do it, then I'm sure there's somebody that's doing it. But yeah. Um, so uh, I guess that in itself is not particularly self-smart, except the, um, the special effect that I put with it is to invite people to imagine being alone, cut off, and abandoned as a prisoner of conscience. Mm-hmm. And what fears would arise in you in such a position? And how might it affect your sense of self-worth? And what would keep you going? Hmm. Uh, for Paul, obviously, the Lord was standing by him, and mm-hmm. so you That's would hope for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, 
but uh, you know, it's it's not a pleasant situation to imagine. No. So uh, let people dwell on that for as long as they can stand it and then invite them to get involved in Amnesty's work or some other similar organization to bring some hope to those folks who are in that situation because there are far too many Mm -hmm. who are. Mm -hmm. Well, for People Smart, I'm kind of borrowing a little bit from Body Smart um, when Paul talks about finishing the race. Um, If you've ever watched a marathon or any other kind of a race, uh, it always begins with this large group of people that all set out at the same time. And then after over a certain amount of time, uh, people start crossing the finish line. They start stringing out and you get the leaders and you get the seconds and then you get the guys who are, you know, barely crawling over the finish line <laughs> and you get the people that don't finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, so also runs. The also runs. Yes. Uh, actually, what I thought of. Remember that video that I I showed you that one time of that mountain race. It starts at the top yeah, of yeah. a glacier. Yeah. Yeah. Just thousands. It looked like of of uh, people on mostly guys on on mountain bikes coming down this glacier, and they're kind of funneled to this the neck of this uh, at the bottom of the glacier where they're going to turn and head off down the mountain and somebody wiped out yeah. and it just made this Took massive. Hundreds out. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Anyway. Um, so, th- you know, maybe as uh, in, in a group, talk about that. Talk about times when you've finished something that took mm. a really long time to complete. What was it? Uh, how did you feel when you completed it? How did you feel while you were in the process of doing it? Did you, At any point, did you think, this just isn't worth it? Um, and if you did, what kept you going? Uh, sort of a self-smart thought there. But this yeah. is a way of you know sharing it with one another in a smaller group. Um, and I thought verse 16 was a little bit of an echo of Jesus on the cross. Mm. Uh, no one came Life to my support. Everyone deserted me. May it yeah. not be counted against them. Yeah. Uh, so again, in a small group, uh, two, three or three or four, no more than four, share a time when you felt abandoned in a particular quest Mm -hmm. and, you know, Mm -hmm. share appropriately. Don't blame anybody who might be sitting there next to you or anything like that. But, (laughs) but talk about a time when you felt like, you know, you turned around and suddenly you were the only person there. Might be an interesting opportunity for reconciliation if you're ready for that. That's Uh, true. Yeah. Um, And if you're aware of some of those things, (laughs) uh, yeah, Mm. that that, that could be really interesting. Hadn't thought of that. Uh, Yeah. So um, there. (laughs) That's all I had. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's go on then. The gospel lesson for your C, Ordinary 30, is from Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. This is picking right up on the heels of where we left off last week with the widow and the judge. Uh, So Jesus is telling another parable, this one not to uh, his disciples to convince them to be persistent in prayer, but now to, quote, some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Gee, Hmm. wonder who he's talking about. Hmm. So he then tells the, the uh, parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, which has gotten a lot of ink and uh, exposition through the, through the ages. 
Uh, so you're pretty familiar with that. I'm sure you've probably already preached on it a time or two, or at least done a Bible study class on it. Um, so looking at it in terms of people smart and how um, this this connects with people, in, in interpersonal te- intelligence folks, um, uh, we went looking at the psychology of what the Pharisee might be doing and came across something um, that is called communal narcissism. Hmm. So communal narcissism is a little different from your average run-of-the-mill narcissism in that an agentic, what they call in the, this article that we have a link to, which you can find over at our show notes at www.morethanhearing.org. Um, uh, agentic uh, narcissist is what you think of when you think of a narcissist. It's just that person who's very, you know, I'm all that. It's all um, about me and exactly and uh, fairly self-contained. Yes, in, yes, in and, and with that. pretty obnoxious. Yeah. Um, a communal narcissist is somebody who is as narcissistic, narcissistic and self-centered, but puts a veneer over the top of it. If I'm reading this correctly, mm-hmm. um, that uh, they, you know, that's all about them, but they're going to put on the social aspect of it so that it seems as though they are all about everybody else, Mm -hmm. which gets them attention Mm -hmm. and puts them ahead um, and and makes them kind of the center of all the activity and stuff. Um, The the link that we have to to this article was written by a man named Arash Imamzadeh, and he concludes his article by saying, nevertheless, the results of this investigation do not suggest that communal narcissists are intentionally deceiving the public. A communal narcissist beliefs might reflect self-deception, not just public impression management. Mm. Perhaps narcissists are trying to convince the public in order to deceive themselves. Mm-hmm. Subconsciously, they might be saying, I desperately need to believe I am exceptional. If you all believe it, then maybe I can really believe it too. Hmm. Further research is required to shed light on communal narcissists' subconscious beliefs. But you may, maybe you got to wonder if the Pharisee standing there uh, with all the light shining on him, looking up to heaven and saying what he's saying, might not just be thinking to himself, I'm no better than that guy over there. Yeah, yeah. At, at the core of his mm-hmm. being, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, and, and demonstrating though that he's he is good because look, I fulfill the law. Yes, and I I tithe and I yes help the poor, which is you know pulling on the 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 uh, the, the outer wear of being righteous. Yeah, um, and well, I guess it doesn't say I help the poor, does it? No. Well, I mean, it's kind of implied. I mean, if he's following all the laws, he's yeah, probably well, he tithing should, yeah, and doing what yeah. he's supposed to be doing to assist the poor. But, yeah. you know, it, uh, the, the implication the, that we get from... miserable poor, those <laughs> lousy, good-for-nothing poor, I help them. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, but the I, I, I have always gotten the implication in the way that this parable is presented, that Jesus was setting this guy up as, if he's doing anything righteous, it's out of a self-serving sense sure, for himself. Yeah. Yeah. And the psychology of that may be saying that, 
he's not so sure about himself. You're right. So a lot of interesting um, psychological um, dynamics there, which could be really interesting to discuss in a small group. You know, mm-hmm. here's some here's a thought. Yeah. Where where have you seen this exhibited? And could it possibly be that's what's happening with a Pharisee? And so maybe, you know, we don't look at him down our nose at him so much, which is essentially doing the exact same thing that the right, Pharisee exactly. was doing to the it's, tax collector. I love this parable. <laughs> it's an infinite loop. Absolutely. So for some special effects for this particular parable for People Smart, present it as a reader's theater. You know, just get your tax collector and your Pharisee up there and your narrator. Go. There you have it. Mm-hmm. Or uh, discuss these questions. Break into smaller groups and discuss what group or person or group of people are scorned simply for being. Mm. Who are our tax collectors? Another question. How often do we behave like the Pharisee, comparing ourselves favorably to others? And we do. Mm-hmm. That might be a self-smart question. Mm-hmm. And how often do we call on God's mercy, honestly acknowledging the ways in which we are sinners ourselves? Mm. That could be an interesting one, too. And that might even go on with the reconciliation one from the question before. All right. I've eaten up all the time. What have you got for self? That's right. Um, Well, some similar strains, actually. I went, I I started off in, in my notes. I have. Do you really need me to give you illustrations of those who exalt themselves? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I came up with a few uh, fairly classic fictional characters that have that tendency. Uh, Archie Bunker, mm-hmm. his uh, cultural antecedent in, in Ralph Cramden mm-hmm. from The Honeymooners. Um, Gaston from Beauty and the Beast, the Disney movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, Scarlett O'Hara, hmm. I thought maybe. Yeah, yeah. She She's always looking down her nose at somebody. Yep. She would be a communal narcissist too. Yeah. Especially yeah. at the beginning of the book uh-huh. when she's, you know, holding to all the conventions, chafing like mad at them, but holding on to all the conventions because she wants to be seen as a great lady like her mother. Yeah, yeah. That so, gives way. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> Indeed. quick. Indeed. <laughs> War does that to yeah, you, I, I would think. I would think. So, you know, it, countless folks who would fill the, the fit the bill. Um, rather than going into the psychology of it, I went into the cultural aspects of it, and I went to TV tropes. We haven't been to TV tropes no, for, a for a while. And uh, thinking about other examples. And so they, they actually have four tropes, I think, that would uh, fall into this category. Um, it's all about me, mm-hmm. lack of empathy, narcissist, and break the hottie. I don't think I've ever heard of that one. Break the hottie is basically when you have the narcissist who gets a comeuppance. Ah, okay. In all sorts of awful and terrible ways. Okay. Uh, so anyway, that, that, those are loaded with more examples and, and fairly interesting descriptions of the dynamics behind them. So you could take a look at that. Um, for special effect, we all feel it sometimes, you know, the, the way the Pharisee is. And so invite people to ponder these questions. 
To whom are you morally superior? Mm. <laughs> and uh, is it a particular person or persons or a class of people, a group of people? Uh, and what makes you so sure you are morally superior to them? And then on a scale of one to 10, how much empathy do you feel for those uh, inferior beings? And is moral superiority an excuse for not loving someone? Mm. So, yeah, <laughs> I've got my own list. <laughs> Uh, and my own scores on that. I'm not telling because <laughs> it's self-smart. It's not people smart. It's right. self-smart. You figure it out yourself. Right. But then, you know, uh, put it to work in people smart ways in how you treat the other. Right. Which is kind of Jesus' point, I guess. Yeah. And maybe invite Jesus into that conversation with that, you. That'd be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always a good idea. Might not hurt so much. Yeah. Well, that's our podcast for today. Please ask questions or leave us a comment on our website, www.morethanhearing.org, or facebook.com slash morethanhearing, or tweet us at morethanhearing, or email us at connect at morethanhearing.org. If you tried any of these suggestions, or maybe got an idea you like better than ours, please let us know what you did and how it went. We'd love to hear how using this theory has made a difference in your preaching and worship. Remember to check out the show notes, worksheets, links, and resources at our website. They go hand in glove with the podcast and give you lots more material to work with. Don't forget to subscribe using the links on the website for iTunes, Google Play, Android, or good old RSS. Or point your podcatching software at morethanhearing.org slash feed slash podcast. Help others find us more easily by writing a review at the iTunes store. And of course, you can share the show with your friends and colleagues. We'll be back with another episode next week. In the meantime, stay subscribed and be smart. Yeah, just getting my hair out of my face. No, okay.